Hi, this is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 31st episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they enroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or suggestion for a guest, please email me at rebecca at homebodiesyoga.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Homebodies Yoga Podcast. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Um, yeah, and please really do rate and review. Like, like if you haven't done it, just pause the podcast right now and go and do it because it really helps people find the show. And if where you're listening doesn't allow you to review, uh, like on Spotify, please review somewhere else. Um, it's a really good practice to review things you like, not saying like my podcast necessarily, but it's something I've been trying to do lately, like uh, reviewing podcasts I like and blogs I like and restaurants I like just to, I don't know, I feel like it is a nice way to um, help out things that you respect. I don't know. Anyway, if you want to do that for my podcast, you could just click the stars button. That's helpful. Or you could write a review, which might take you anywhere from five to 10 minutes, which I know times something. So anyway, I'd appreciate it. Enough about that. Um, I think I was kind of stalling because today I'm going to be talking about two things I find kind of embarrassing to talk about on a podcast. Uh, The first is that I read psychology today uh, when I fly. I just find it really calming. I know it's kind of like pop um, psychology and I know actually that there are some psychologists who listen to the show, so I hope that you will keep an open mind with me. (laughs) But it's just something, I don't know, I sort of enjoy reading it. It's like kind of like fluffy and easy reading on an airplane. So the first thing I want to admit is that I do read psychology today, only when I'm flying, which I feel like when you're in the air, the things you do in the air hardly count. Like it's more than Vegas. It's like whatever you do up by there on the plane, like it's a different you. Uh, and then the other thing is I'm going, I'm a 35 year old new mom. That's going to be talking about meal planning a small amount, which I find embarrassing just because it's sort of a cliche. Uh, but here we are, I am who I am and maybe I am just basic and that's okay with me. Anyway, first thing, psychology today. So a long time ago when Evan and I were flying somewhere, I read this article in psychology today. It was like one page, but I actually think about it all the time. And in the article, it said that there are basically two kinds of people in the world as far as decision making goes. There are maximizers. And these are people who will need to know every single option before they can pick. You know, like they want to look at every restaurant possibility. They want to see every single Airbnb that they could possibly rent. They need to know, you know, all of the options at the grocery store. And then there are satisfiers. And a satisfier knows what they want. They decide what they want. And then they just pick the first thing that it kind of fits the parameters of what they want. Oh, okay, this this restaurant has this. It's close to this. Okay, that's the one. Like, without doing too much research. And Evan and I always joke about it because I'm, like, such a maximizer. Like, he calls me um, a snack inspector. Because, like, even on a road trip, we go into, you know, like, a gas station and get a snack. And I need to, like, 
look at every single snack. As though a gas station doesn't have all of the same snacks. As though it really matters what I have a snack on during a road trip. You know, and Evan will just, you know, kind of walk to the register, grab the first thing that catches his eye, and, and he's done. Meanwhile, you know, 20 minutes later, he's still in the car texting me like, please, can we please go? Like, this is not the point of the road trip. <laughs> um, so, you know, maximizer. And and I do think my maximizing ways are really helpful in a lot of ways. Like I think I found like cool places for us to stay. I think, you know, like for instance with Hudson's preschool, like I'm glad I maximized that. Like we're very happy there. We're not going to have to switch schools. We didn't have to tour that many places because I really did a lot of research. So I, I, there are, I think there are benefits to maximizing. However, I've been trying lately to be really present with my anxiety. Uh, and I think something that I get anxious about is having too many options and having to decide the right one. And then after, you know, even after I've decided, I'm still not sure because, you know, you can't live two options at once. And then I'm always thinking, like, maybe we should have done that, you know. So I can't even enjoy what I'm doing because I'm thinking about the other option I could have done. Um, and so one thing I've been doing to try to kind of s- stop that is I've been trying to just, like, have non-negotiables that I don't think about so that I don't drive myself crazy with all the options. Um, So one thing is I've just decided that meditation is a non-negotiable. Like every day, and it has to be in the morning, every day in the morning before I get out of bed, I meditate every single day. Sometimes, you know, it's a 20-minute, you know, like audio-guided meditation. Sometimes it's 10 breaths. Uh, Sometimes it's, you know, Nadi Shodna alternate nostril breathing for five breaths. Like, but every day I do it. Um, and th- I think this is really helpful for me and the kind of anxious I am because then if for some reason, let's say something insane happens and I don't meditate in the morning in my bed, that's it. Like I'm not thinking about it the rest of the day. If it doesn't happen in the morning, it doesn't happen. So it's a non-negotiable, but like it, it, <laughs> if it's for some reason it doesn't happen, I don't drive myself crazy thinking about like, when can I fit in? Should I do it now? Should I do it later? Should I do it right this second? Should I do it in five minutes? Should I do it right before I do that? Right. Cause that kind of like over like scheduling brain like drives me nuts like literally drives me nuts um and it's like that tom robbins quote with my meditation it's like one of my favorites he says like stay true to your intentions but flexible in your approach uh so for meditation for me like my intention is to meditate every day sometimes that means two deep breaths before i leave my bed right and that is my my protest to stay flexible but it's okay because i do it every day the other non-negotiable for me now is exercise because I drive myself crazy thinking if I should or not. <laughs> right, should I move my body? Should I do yoga? Should I do this? Should I do that? Every day I just do it. And every day it's one of three things. It's Pilates, it's cardio, or it's yoga. And that's it, right? Those are my three options. If I'm taking a class, I pick the first one, you know, on my whatever class app I use. I pick the first one that fits the time parameters. That's it. Like, no more spending hours looking at classes because there's never going to be a perfect class, right? Like, just pick one. Like, I have spent so many minutes of my life trying to find the perfect, exact kind of class I want to do. Like, enough's enough, right? And if I can't really, if, if I'm like, I'm looking and I can't find anything, it's a, it's a yoga practice that I lead myself. And that's it. Like, no more than two minutes deciding. Um, and then here comes my second embarrassment. The other thing I've been doing is I don't meal prep, but I do meal plan. So Sunday night, I just decide for the week, every single dinner. Uh, And again, like, sure, this way, I kind of like 
make all of my decisions about dinner at once so I don't have to think about it, right? Sunday night I decide, Monday I get the stuff for it. And then it's just, I'm like a machine. Like I just make what I said I was gonna make all week. And lately actually, another way I've been kind of cutting down on decisions is I pick kind of one thing, I make a big thing of on Monday and I incorporate it in the meals all week. So like this week, uh, do you, do you guys know about Rancho Gordo? It's these like very nice heirloom dried beans. Anyway, we're in the Rancho Gordo club. So they send us beans like every few months, like bags of really delicious beans. Like you haven't had beans like this. They're not like Goya or whatever. Anyway, highly recommend checking out Rancho Gordo. Anyway, so this week I made like a big pot of black beans and I just had them in a meal every single, you know, at dinner, they were somehow in the meal, like quinoa and black beans with salad, like, um, what else did I make? Oh, like uh, black beans and shrimp tacos, things like that. Like, just like here is the, the main thing. And I just make meals around it. And it really helps my anxiety because then I'm not all day thinking, oh, what am I going to do about this? Okay, should I do this? Should I do that? The other thing is I've become brand loyal, which is another, like, I feel sort of silly talking about it, but like, um, I don't want to spend time thinking about like which snack I should buy my kid, but I do think it's important that he eats healthy food. So there's like one brand I decided like for like easy, quick meals, easy, quick snacks, like I trust their crackers and their whatever, like graham crackers, their bars or whatever. So like, that's the only brand I buy. That's it. If the store doesn't have it, he doesn't get bars that week. Like I'm not going to look at ingredients anymore of a thousand different things. Like it drives me nuts. So like, that's it. That's what I pick. Um, there's like two places, you know, two places I, if I'm going to go out to lunch, there's two places I pick. That's it. I'm not going to like see if there's anything better. I know they're good. I like their food. That's it. I go to those two. <laughs> um, and the same with breakfast, actually. Like I, I don't want to think about what I'm going to have for breakfast. So I just pick, there's like, I either have eggs or I have oatmeal, eggs in some way or oatmeal in some way. And I don't have to think about it like beyond that. And it actually really adds to joy joy in my life so much because I'm not spending so much time trying to decide and then wondering if I made the right decision, right? It's just like non-negotiables. Um, anyway, I kind of recommend it, especially if you find yourself like having decision fatigue. I know with like the last year, there were just so many extra decisions we had to make. Like, oh, should I go meet my friend at a coffee shop? Should Is it okay to go for a walk outside? And I just feel like I don't know that I have like decision fatigue and I'm just so tired of making decisions. So in places where I don't, it doesn't have to be a big deal. I don't make it a big deal anymore. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've been really enjoying that. Um, and it's funny, I was talking about psychology today, today, uh, because my guest on the show today is Shirley Johnson and she is a licensed therapist, but that's not all she is. She's also a medicine woman, a Kundalini and Hatha yoga teacher and an intimacy coach. Uh, and I had such a good time talking to her. We really talked about, she is going on a three month sabbatical, uh, just from life to reset and to, um, take a break. And there's something so holy about taking a pause and taking a break. And it felt, I don't know, it felt sort of intimate to be talking to her on kind of the precipice. So the day we talked was the day before she like was embarking on this three month hiatus from work. Uh, and I don't know, there was kind of like, I think there was just more, you know, when you're about to try something new, I think you're just, I don't know, I don't know, there was just this kind of like openness and sweetness about her. And and she's always like that, but especially in our talk. Um, 
And I don't know, I had I just I think you'll really enjoy her viewpoint on on why she's doing it. Like like what what is the point of taking rest? Because as she points out in uh the pot in the interview, there is a you know, you it's not free to take a break. Like it as silly as that sounds, right? Like she is actually you know, going to still be spending money to live and she's not going to be making money. So it costs something for her to take a break and it's still important for her to do so. Um, anyway, we get into that. We talk all about just her feelings about that and her childhood and um, her yoga practice, of course. Um, anyway, it's a really good show, a really good interview. Um and I really uh, am excited for you to hear it and to hear what you think. Uh, so here is Shirley Johnson. Welcome, Shirley. Uh, I don't have to tell you, but you are a therapist, a licensed therapist, a yoga instructor, and a medicine woman. And I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you for coming. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me, Rebecca. Of course. So let's just jump right in. I know we only have about 30 minutes today. Um, what is your practice like these days? My yoga practice is, oh, you know, it's really gentle these days. And it is not always, it does not look the way that it looked pre-COVID. I'll say that. I remembered right before the pandemic came on like full throttle and shelter in place, et cetera. You know, I was practicing vinyasa, hot vinyasa, like five times a week, always kind of in a Kundalini meditation uh, at home. And as soon as all like shelter in place and just all the sort of pandemonium began, my body was like, nope, mm -mm, like no vinyasa. And I was just craving like yin and yin yoga and yoga nidra. And I think my practice looks like a mix of like every day. It's a very different practice. It could be meditation. It could just be like three minutes of cat cow. Um, and, or it can be 60 minutes of restorative yoga. I don't, and then I try to make it to some outdoor classes, but my practice is really gentle right now. Uh, I actually, part of the reason I really wanted you on the show is because I feel like um, there are like two camps of yogis. Well, there are a lot of camps, but it's very often there are vinyasa yogis and then there are kundalini yogis and never the two shall meet, <laughs> but somehow you do both. So can you tell us a little bit about your history with yoga and like which one you found first and, and how it all happened? My history with yoga. Well, they're the little seedlings, the tiny, tiny seedlings were planted when I was in college. My mom had constant back challenges, so she would go to Pilates and yoga. That was what her um, medical providers suggested. And when I'd come home from college for the summers, it, I was, I was like a, totally into the gym. I was like a gym rat believe it or not. I can barely believe it. And, but my mom would sometimes, you know, she had her little class passes. She'd be like, you can come on my class pass. And so I was down to, to explore. So I would go to a few little yoga classes with my mom and 
I probably, you know, I was curious and open, but I, I wanted to move and was down for it. And fast forward, and I had some movement background, like I mentioned, I was at the gym, I was physical, I danced a lot in college. And fast forward into working post-college, I worked uh, in corporate real estate development for not very long, but long enough. And I started to get very stressed out. I was having rashes on my body. I was starting to see probably what now I would consider burnout, but baby 20-something-year-old Shirley did not have the intel that such burnout existed. And I don't think it was as common as a phrase as, as it is today. And I was like, maybe I should go to yoga. And so I started going to a yoga studio. I think I would go maybe twice a week. And I was very curious. I felt very allured to the practice. I have come from a family that has a lot of, puts a lot of value on metaphysics. So I was so excited to be somewhere where there was like a little hint of some metaphysical, mystical elements. And from there, I went through a big life change and I knew I wanted to keep practicing yoga. I knew that that was important to me. My budget was changing. And so I found a studio in Midtown West Manhattan, which was called Levitate Yoga. And I was a karmi yogi and I would come in for four hours a week and check people in, clean the studios, do whatever tasks needed to be done. And, and I would practice. I would, I, and I just went to any class, you know, they had a mix of different teachers and styles of yoga. And I loved that beginning part of my yoga journey because I went to any class. I wasn't like, Ooh, I don't like that teacher. Oh, I don't like that style. I just was like, I'll go to anything. So my primary beginning intro to yoga was Hatha and Vinyasa and, and various people who, you know, were more Ashtangi based or Anusara based, et cetera. So that was my primary entry point. And again, that I just stayed open. I just felt during those first couple of years, I just wanted to experience any teacher, any class. And eventually I stumbled, I didn't stumble. I was like, oh, I'm gonna go to this Kundalini yoga class. And I just remembered looking around and seeing so many people having these emotional responses. And I realized there's something, something is happening in this space that is quite different than um, what I had seen in Hatha and Vinyasa, as far as what I saw people putting their whole hearts into their practice. And it was a different experience and it's, uh, you know, limited to my perception. I'm not saying people don't put their hearts and souls into Vinyasa, but the way I had seen it or how it touched me was there was like an invitation, like this is a place like, you get to put your issues and your sorrows and, and everything, like put it into your practice and embody it. And, you know, I just kept moving forward and I just kept, again, 
practicing what, wherever city I landed in or wherever state I was in. Finding a yoga community has always been such a gift and staying open to like trying new teachers and new practices. So that's, I think, how potentially like the Kundalini and Vinyasa have come together. I I have a lot of questions about what you just said, but the thing that really struck me is when you mentioned your family is metaphysical, because I would not describe my family in that way. I love you, mom, but like, that's not how I would describe my family. Uh, what, like, what's your history with your family? How are they in metaphysical? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, just my parents were both musicians. They ah. did a bunch of like astral travel while my mom was pregnant with me. I would say both of my parents. So I lived in a setting in my very early years of life that was very inviting of the mystical, of talking about spirit. Of And, and it's interesting. My father would be described probably as pretty clairvoyant. And my mother also is, you know, she's she'll just say in like passing she'll be like oh yeah like this dead relative came to me while I was practicing yoga the other day like so casual about it just to say that it was normed that there was a reality beyond the sort of material reality that most of us are in and that I think yoga sometimes reminds us that there are multiple realities so it was so refreshing to be in some communities that were at least sprinkling or speaking to the heart of what I think creates a lot of suffering, which is when you're in this realm, this material realm, and know and yearn for for more than this realm and are surrounded by folks who are telling you like, this is it. So yeah, that's a little... That, that answers. So you've been you've been into it since you were in the womb. <laughs> yes, literally, literally. I'm like, yeah. They, my mother was like, oh yeah, we want to astral project and travel while we were pregnant with you. I'm like, oh, okay, well, now. <laughs> they sound so cool. Um, well, we were talking a little bit offline. Uh, I'm so glad to, that you fit me in today because you are taking a sabbatical, which I just think is amazing. Can you tell me a little bit about deciding to do that? Oh, yes, I can, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> I am on a campaign to normalize sabbaticals, sabbaticals to the people. <laughs> and part of the reason I am choosing to do this is because I'm exhausted. And the last year and a half has highlighted how exhausted I probably have been, but has highlighted and made me very aware that I will not continue to work or do in the way that I have been trained from a very young age to do. And 10 years ago, started my journey into becoming a therapist. I moved to the Bay Area for grad school. And I realized probably I've been exhausted for 10 years. And it's been nonstop working, working for free at time for at least two years. I worked for free as a clinical intern. 
while working other jobs to be able to live and pay rent in the Bay Area, which is an expensive market. And I'm very thankful that I that I've survived it all. And I had the idea probably at the beginning of this year when I was noticing taking perhaps a week off, I wasn't getting the, re- the, the reset. And I think part of it is working from home and then being at home all day is a different reset than when you work um, outside of the home and then maybe have a week at home to chill. Travel was limited for me. I didn't feel comfortable traveling at different times throughout the last year and a half. And I just realized I need more than a, I need more than a week. And I had a professor in grad school who would take a month off and he would take, you know, holidays off, et cetera. But he took a solid month off. He said, I remember he taught couples work and he said, he just, he just, that was something that was built into his lifestyle. He takes a month off for a meditation retreat and his clients know it. And that's how, and they expect it. And so I had that idea, but I didn't know too many other people beside him who I'm not still closely in touch with who are taking this amount of time off. And I was aware and I'm aware I've been sort of looking toward it since the beginning of the year. And I consulted, I I have a consultant I work with around my clinical practice and talk to my therapist, you know, how do I do this? How do I roll this out? How do I make plans for my clients, et cetera. And, you know, little by little, I planned it and talked to people and got insight on how to do it and started to realize it's not as uncommon as I thought, but maybe just I didn't, the people in my circle weren't doing it. And the choice to do it, I kept thinking, I've been thinking a lot, it is a sacrifice, right? I'm not going to be working. I'm not going to be making, bringing in any money. I don't have any passive income <laughs> and I'm going to be spending money <laughs> and realizing like it is a sacrifice, but we make sacrifices every day. I make sacrifices every day. There's many days I sacrifice my movement practice. There's days I sacrifice sleep. There's days I sacrifice what I'm putting in my body. There's days I sacrifice not talking to friends and family because of something else and of shifting it to be like, it is a sacrifice, but every day I make sacrifice. So reorienting myself and being like, what's it like to make a conscious sacrifice of money and whatever other stuff comes with working (laughs) to be like, no, my priority is to rest is to be and to really flow into the present moment. I have no agenda. I'm not like, I'm going to clean out my closets or I'm going to practice yoga every day. No, nothing, nothing. (laughs) And that's what I want. I don't, I want to be able to wake up and you know, be like, hmm, I want to, I feel like taking a hike. I feel like laying in bed for another two hours and do what my body is saying to do and not be on the linear time clock. That was a bigger realization I had probably earlier this year of being like, wow, you know, I went, I went to school starting at age five to kindergarten, went through 12th grade, immediately went to undergrad, started working immediately after undergrad. 
worked and worked in different ways, didn't always work nine to five, had some kind of gig contract stuff and went to grad school and working and being like, I've been on such a linear time clock since I was five years old. And I know that that, and I, and the way that I work as a therapist, it's like <laughs> blocks of time. My schedule is like, bah, 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 bah. and just being curious, what is, what would it be like as an adult to have playtime, unstructured time? And it's something that so many people have to work so hard for and that most people are working hard for. And yet it's becoming, it's so interesting how it's like, I, my experience and I think many people I speak to are in some ways, desiring it. And yet we're taught to fear that in so many subconscious ways. Oh, let me make myself busy all the time. Like the workaholism is so rampant in this culture and the doing, sometimes it's not even work specific. It's just the doing constant doing fast too, that I'm aware is not going to be good for my nervous system and working with people in their nervous systems every day. I suspect I'm not the only one who it's not benefiting. Yeah, it's, I, well, one, I applaud you and I'm inspired, honestly. I, I think, I think as a therapist, it might be the best thing you can do. Like if my therapist told me that it'd be an inspiration to actually also take a break, you know, like, cause a week isn't enough. It really is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's just, you're just starting to get some sleep. You just got one good night of sleep for the first yeah. time. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I really, it's interesting. I feel like it all, I mean, you know, like being, my kid is two and a half, but like basically since he was three months old, people are like, well, when are you going back to work? Well, when are you going to do this? And I'm like, can I just be a mother for a minute? Like, can I do this for a minute? Like, <laughs> well, when are you going to do this? You know, like it is. And it, I, I don't know. I think, uh, capitalism has really co-opted um, self-care in such a big way where instead of taking care of ourselves, we're supposed to earn money to spend money to take care of ourselves. Yes. And I would also say that on a level, the whole self-care thing is a response to capitalism, right? We don't need self-care if we're not in a dysfunctional system. Mm. So even then self-care becomes this whole momentum of you have to spend money and you need to do, it's still that energy of doing, okay, now I need to go home and I need to do this. I need to go sit down and do my meditation for 10 minutes because I'm supposed to be doing mindfulness and I'm supposed to be. And as soon as you get into that mode, it's like, what's the point, <laughs> right? If you're in that doing tense mode, like, just sit on your couch and relax and watch TV. Like, <laughs> relax. Relax. <laughs> it's also just makes me think of how many self-care and, you know, self-care is getting very sophisticated these days. There's all types of how much quote unquote self-care would we need if we got enough sleep every night? Mm -hmm. If we had, um, if we had nutritious food available to us, if we were able to drink eight ounce, uh, eight glasses of clean water daily, if we were able to sleep or nap and rest during the day, if we were able to move slow. And I actually think that 
we might not need all of the complex self-care modalities that, you know, they do, they are necessary in, in this context, but in another context, they might not even be necessary. Mm-hmm. I think there's something about that conversation also that is, is, is a little, there's hesitation in our culture to have because people are making money off of yoga studios and this thing and that thing and this tea and that thing. Where it's like, you know, you can do your yoga practice at home. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong. There is nothing like community, nothing, 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 nothing. But you can get together with your friends and go to a park and lay your yoga mats down. You can each do your own practice. You can each decide what you want. You know, you can do something together. You can sit and meditate and set a timer for 10 minutes. So it's so interesting how there's so many ways that people are taught that their self-care is something that they have to outsource. And it's something that has to be like complicated. I need to go to this specialist. And don't get me wrong. Again, in this day and age, many of us do need those. I need lots of complicated treatment and attending to because of the ways that I've worked and the context that I've chosen to incarnate into. It's my choice. I'm taking responsibility for that. And I also get curious about what would it look like if we were just able to eat, sleep, rest, um, work in ways that felt nourishing, connect with nature, had nature around us that was available, had the, you know, we're breathing in clean air. I don't know if if I would need as many appointments a week, <laughs> I don't know if I would have as many therapy clients. Yeah. That might be fine though. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just thinking like, I'm putting myself in your position, like in your shoes. And a part of me would be really excited to have nothing, but I think a part of me, because I'm so conditioned to always have a schedule would be like almost a little nervous, like a little anxious. Do you have any of that? Or are you just so far beyond Mm. I'm so tired that I'm like, I don't want to do nothing. Some people are like, you're going to lose your mind. I'm like, don't underestimate me. My natural mood is I'm a Taurus. I'm naturally very slow. (laughs) My best friend joke. I'm always like, we both will be like, I'm naturally lazy. I am. I'm okay with that. And I'm reclaiming the word lazy. It's not a bad term. I know how to lounge. I know how to chill. I know how to Eat, feed myself. I know how to enjoy pleasure. And Rebecca, don't get me wrong. There are like spouts of like, I definitely can look around my house and be like, Ooh, it'd be really nice if I could get that closet cleaned out during this time, but I'm not going to make myself do it, but ooh, I'm looking at it. And, mm. and, and there's also moments of like, even in the last, you know, couple of weeks, people have been like, oh, you know, some of my friends, even my closest friends, like, oh, let's plan to do that thing. Let's plan to go there. And I've been like, no, no, no. Like I've had to like keep being like, I don't want to overschedule myself, even with self-care. Like that's the other thing, <laughs> like, the overscheduling. And so I feel a little anxiety about like how to manage doing fun things and enjoying myself and also turning down spending quality time with people I love because it might just not be aligned with what I feel like doing at the time. I love it. <laughs> um, I, I also am 
reclaiming lazy. My, my husband calls me a bed princess because I just love to wake up and just lay in bed. I don't even look at my phone. I just love to stare at the ceiling. It's like (laughs) nothing better. I love that. Yes. Beds are so being in bed is so nurturing. And for some reason, what's coming to me is what I I've read and heard from different people that in traditional Chinese medicine, after a person gives birth, that like the traditional way, not necessarily what you might be able to do in 2021 in America, but, and I, there's other cultures that do this too, but you like the, the mother lays in bed for like 30 to 40 days. People bring her food, they bring her baby, but she's not up and around trying to clean and fix this and put together this shelf. And the community gathers, right, to, to hold because the blood, all the blood that's lost, all the liquid that's lost, all the stuff that a person puts themselves through to birth another human being. You're a mom, so you have lived the experience. Your whole body changes. It's not your body, quote unquote, anymore as soon as you're pregnant. Everything is being designed to give to, you know, the fetus that could soon could become a baby. And and it replenishes, like laying down, you can get replenished that way. And I just think about like the, right, like how rare, how, how I don't know any women who've done that. Maybe I know like one from like some yoga, you know, some witchy yoga community that I'm part of, but like, that's not the norm and thinking of what it could be like to norm. Yeah. Like I'm in bed all weekend and I was taught to look down at that. Yeah. And it's been helpful for me also to reclaim it and be like, no, it's okay for me to take, to just be in bed. And I really like hanging around people who get that. I'm noticing. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you have a lady friend who will come over and just lay in bed with you, that is like a good friend. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I love that your husband can like make light of it. And like, it doesn't, you know, like, ugh, I would be so annoyed if like my sweetie was like, he knows I'm lazy. He knows like, I like to unwind at the end of the day and watch trash TV after I've freaking been talking trauma all day. He's like, oh, okay, you, you on the couch watching your TV. <laughs> and it, but like, I've also, you know, been intimate with people who are like, shouldn't you be taking walks? Shouldn't you be doing it? And I just noticed like, no, nah, that's, that's not, that's not it for me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we are right up. I took every last minute you promised um, because it's so good to talk to you. Um, And I am going to put your website in the show notes, but let everyone know not to expect any response. (laughs) Responses till December. For December. (laughs) So what I'll do is, you know what I'll do? I'll post this episode, but then I'll post it again in January when you're back. So people can get another chance to (laughs) hit you up. (laughs) We can do a post. We can do a a part two. (gasps) And hear how it went. Yeah. If you would like, we could do a post, post sabbatical recount for the campaign of reclaiming rest. Let's do it. We can do it. I'm actually in my bed right now. So let's just next time we'll both be in our bed from. (laughs) Deal. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Shirley. I appreciate you taking the time today. You're welcome. Have a good one. Bye, Rebecca. Bye. (laughs) 
really loved talking to Shirley, um, and I hope that that interview will give you as much inspiration as I got. Um, I just feel like her taking a break uh, and, and admitting that she needed a break gave me real freedom and, uh, and and confidence in like admitting that also sometimes I need rest and a break. Like a sabbatical is not exactly something that's possible for me right now with a two-year-old, but definitely this like, I don't know, sort of permission to uh, take rest when it's possible for me. Um, And also it's interesting because, you know, making a podcast, like I talk to the guests before and after and the experience of talking to them offline versus online is sometimes varied. Like, you know, it just is. Uh, But I just, I, I just wish that you could hear the way that uh, Shirley gave me permission to uh, that it was okay that I'm not like working full time as a new mom that like it's okay to I don't know quote unquote just be a mom right now um, yeah she said it in a way that other people have said it to me of course but like she said it in a way that like was just so honest uh, and I don't know she just showed me a lot of kindness when you know I'm you know, feeling sort of insecure, I think. And she, I don't know. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess she's just good at what she does as a therapist. So I, I'm glad I got like a moment or two of that. And I'm so grateful she gave her time right before she, you know, we got this, I got a small window of time just before she went on her hiatus uh, from work. So uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Shirley. And please let me know what you think. You can email me. You can find me on social media, Rebecca or uh, Homebodies Yoga Podcast. You can email me at Rebecca at homebodiesyoga.com. Otherwise, keep practicing, and I'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye.